Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy Sabbath to each one of you. It is uh, truly a pleasure to be here. First time I've been in this church, so thank you for having me. Um, it's always wonderful to come out and see new faces and meet new folks from our family all over East Texas, and, and I do feel like we're all family. You know, when you're part of the Adventist world, you find people, you're, you're really probably one degree away from almost every Adventist on the planet. <laughs> they, I've met people at, at gatherings of thousands of people and find out it's the little sister of a girl I went to school with 40 years ago. You just, you have things like that, and it's a lot of fun. And I think it reminds us that what we are, we are just a small piece of the really the entire family of God, right? And someday we're all going to be there together. And we're going to and we're going to worship together. And we're going to praise God and we're going to be no more tears, right? I know there's been some loss. I've heard some additional loss in this church and of course we just lost Bill and and there's been losses in in our home church uh in Tyler. And so I long for that day. But what God asks us to do is have that joyous life while we're still here, right? Even through the trials, even through the suffering, what we do to an onlooking world is they see us able to praise God in our brokenness, in our heartbreak, in our struggles, and in all our trials, and they say, I want that kind of peace. What do you have? And we say, well, come here. Let me introduce you to him, right? That's our open. So so it's always... A true blessing for me to come out and and just share some things that God puts on my heart and something that I'll promise each of you is I will be true to the best of my ability to the Word of God and everything that I will share with you will come from the Word. Stay true to true to God and and I'll share things that He puts on my heart. It may not always be easy to hear. And it may not always be pleasing to our ears. A lot of times, you know, when it says it's a two-edged sword, right? Sometimes the Word of God cuts, doesn't it? But it's for our growth, right? It's for our edification. It's to draw us closer to God. And so when we come across those pieces in Scripture, that's just how God talks to us sometimes. He's trying to get our attention because it's not really about this life. It's about the eternal life. So if we can draw near to Him in this life, we can be near to Him for eternity. So, so thanks so much for giving me this time to, to stand in this pulpit on a beautiful Sabbath day. I assure you it is, it is a, it's an honor and a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. It's one that I do not take lightly. So uh, for those of you and many of you have never met me and don't know me, my name is Will Boyd. I'm from the Tyler Church. I've been a member there for about 27 years now, coming from, from Grand Prairie. Um, transplanted to East Texas as soon as I could get here and don't have any plans to ever leave <laughs> um, if I have it my way. Unless, unless God calls me somewhere else, this, this is going to be home for a while. But, uh, but we, have, um, yeah, we have a wonderful pastor there. Many of you may know Brad Minette. We have a good elders team, and it, and it really is a privilege for us to come out and, and be a part of the worship service with all of you. So, so I'm going to just say a very quick prayer, invite the Spirit one more time just to be with us as we truly, what I hope is breaking the bread of life together as we divide the Word, and, and I pray that it is rightly divided. Father, as we come before you, we need you 
to be our guide. We need you to be our teacher, to open our hearts and minds, to receive the things we discuss in a way that will touch our hearts and change our lives. And most importantly, may each one of us be drawn more closely to you for having been here today. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, you know, we're living in a time where we really do need to stand up for what we believe, don't we? Do you all, do you all agree with that? And, and, and that's getting harder, isn't it? If you believe in the Word of God, that's getting harder and harder to do. Because what we're seeing is the Word of God is being attacked on multiple levels everywhere you go. And, and what we knew was coming, right? The Bible's warned us since we were little kids. We knew there was a day coming when evil would be called good, right? And good would be called evil. Is that happening in the world today? Absolutely. Everywhere you look. Anything you read, you know, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you turn on the TV, you're probably going to see that, right? It's happening everywhere. And so it's important for us as Seventh-day Adventists to understand not just what we believe, but why we believe it and why it's important. And it's very important for our children to understand that too, because if they grow up just doing what mom and dad did, just doing what grandma and grandpa did, when it becomes their time to choose, if they don't understand why we believe the things we believe, they're going to have a lot of conflict, a lot of choices, and a lot of tough decisions to make. But if they're grounded, if they, don't, if they know not just what we believe, but why we believe it, it's going to make a big difference. And so when we're doing that, think about when you look around... And, and I'll use East Texas as an example because I do think that in East Texas, I think we're still sheltered to a large degree from some of the ugliness in the world that you see in Houston and Dallas and Los Angeles and Chicago and New York. So I think we're still sheltered now. It's here. Don't get me wrong. It's here. But I think we still have, there's enough people that are saying crazy is crazy and we're going to call crazy crazy, right? Much of the world is not doing that anymore. But what I see is there's this big rise in non-denominational churches. Have you guys seen that? Some of the biggest churches, if you drive around Tyler, you'll see these big, big churches. and You think, oh, it's probably a Baptist church. More and more, it's not. It's non-denominational. Why? People want to shop around and pick a lifestyle. And I'm going to shop around until I find the religion that fits my lifestyle. Then I get to, I get to live by my rules and God ordains it. Right? That's at least the teaching. Now, I think we all understand that's not true, but that not that the human condition? When we were little kids, didn't we want mom and dad to always see things our way? Right? There were certain things you couldn't eat before a meal. There were certain things you couldn't eat ever, right? And it tended to be, as children, the things we wanted the most were the things that you couldn't have, or at least the things you could have the very least, right? And all we wanted was mom and dad to see it our way. Even as we grow up sometimes... We don't probably voice it in that way, but we're wanting God to see things my way, right? We're asking God, if you could just see fit to have my life play out like this, I would really appreciate that. And we want to tell God what's best for us when God knew what was best for us long before we were ever created. And so it's important not only to trust God, to follow God, to believe in God, but stay true to the Bible principles that he puts on our heart. And I think we have a unique calling as Seventh-day Adventists to share truths with the world that much of the world is not teaching. But our own church is not immune to error. Do you agree with me? 
Every church that has Seventh-day Adventist on the door will not be part of the remnant church. And we're seeing this already. That's why I think it's important that we, we stay true. And you'll notice that the title of today's sermon, These Pillars Must Stand. Now, there's, there's five pillars. And they all start with S. Now, I understand there's more of these, right? There's a lot of things that we stand on. There's a lot of things in our 28 fundamental beliefs that are important. But there's five things, I think, that truly separate us in a very big way, right? Because there's a lot of churches that believe that, that Jesus is God the Son, right? That there's a Holy Spirit and there's a God the Father, the Trinity. A lot of churches believe that, don't they? We believe that, but so do a lot of other churches. We believe stealing is wrong, Right? A lot of other churches believe stealing is wrong, right? So there's a lot of things that we're alike in many ways, but there's ways that we are different, and these are fundamental. And I want to talk about why they are so important and why it's so important that these stand. So, quick quiz. If I tell you there's the five that I'm looking for, and they all start with S, you want to throw some at me? Sabbath. That's why we're here, right? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. That's a huge one. What else? Already got that one. State of the dead. This is big, isn't it? Second coming. coming. What are we missing? Spirit of prophecy. prophecy. Got them. I I knew you guys would get it. (laughs) I think you got all of them, actually. (laughs) There's always one teacher's pet in every classroom, isn't there? That all the other kids are like, boy, I sure hope she gets it. (laughs) I sure hope the teacher won't call on me, right? That's it. Why are those so important? Let's talk about them. Because, and let's start with the state of the dead. Why is that important? And, and I'll, I'll throw this statement out there. Spiritualism is being taught overtly all over the place, isn't it? Right? And we see that. It's in our face that the, really we never die. Right? Isn't that being taught everywhere? You see it in movies, right? You see it in TV shows. You see it in music. And what we, we've actually been seeing this our entire lives. And some of you... Uh, we'll know what I'm talking about. Do you remember this? When I was little, there was a very popular uh, cartoon. It was called Casper the Friendly Ghost, right? So he's dead, but he's come back, right? But he's friendly, right? We're supposed to be scared of ghosts because there's these spirits and they're evil and they haunt places, but no, no, no. Not this one. He's friendly. Since I was a little kid, in fact, what you may not understand is that show's actually been around since like the 30s or 40s. It, is, it's gone, it goes back a long, long way. The lie goes back much further than that, but subliminally is introducing to us as children, there's actually no reason to be afraid of dead spirits. What's a dead spirit? If somebody appears to you that was dead and says, Hey, I'm Great Uncle John. I've come back to the dead. Is that Great Uncle John? No. Who is it? It's, the sa- it's Satan, right? It's a demon from hell coming back, right? But we're teaching our children, it's okay, right? Don't worry about it. Not too big a deal. There was a movie back in the 90s, and I hope none of you remember it, but I'm ashamed to say I watched it. It was called City of Angels. had Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage in it. The premise of the story, and it's a love story, right? So he can even lure good Adventist people in with a good love story, right? This is a love story 
about Nicolas Cage is the angel coming back. Meg Ryan's a surgeon. A man's in a car accident. He's on her operating table and she loses him. He dies. Well, Nicolas Cage is there to take him to heaven. And he sees the grief in Meg Ryan's face when she couldn't save this man. And he sees the passion and the love. And he's so drawn to her as an angel coming from heaven. So first lie, angel comes to heaven when someone dies to take him home, right? So that's a lie in itself. But here's where it gets really murky. Now he falls in love with a human on this earth and requests to leave heaven to come be with her. Wow. So you've gotten so many lies intermingled here. Now you've kind of, you've kind of black, um, darkened heaven a little bit, right? A perfect being that stands in the presence of God, sings in perfection, can fall in love with anything on this earth. No way, right? But Hollywood's telling us that, right? Cartoons have been telling us since we were kids. And all this is is the first lie, right? You'll not surely die. God's keeping you from something, which isn't that the underpinning of the entire great controversy? God's character's on trial? God doesn't really love you. If He really loved you, He'd let you do what you want. Come to me. I've got all the good stuff. Everything that you naturally want, I offer to you. You can have it if you just come over here. Yeah, but God says, if, if I eat of that, I will die. No, no, no. It's okay. Try it. Right? Just like he got Eve, he gets many of us, right? We dip our toe in it and it wasn't that bad, right? It wasn't that bad. And he lures us in the same way until we're so far down that path. That's how people fall into addictions, right? That's how people get so far from God. And he's doing it with these lies like this. There was also a... I'm going to share one more and then I want to dive into the scripture. I found a lot of this stuff and you'll you'll find it all through music and movies and all kinds of stuff. Um, I just did a sermon a couple weeks ago called From a Distance and I was talking about an old um, Bette Midler song where she sings a beautiful song, but the premise of the song is that God's far off, right? And it sounds pretty, but it's not true. Let me share this one with you. This is called Holes in the Floor of Heaven. And it starts out like this. One day shy of eight years old, when Grandma passed away, I was a broken-hearted little boy blowing out that birthday cake. How I cried when the sky let go with the cold and lonesome rain. So you got this child that's missing his grandma. Mama smiled and said, Don't be sad, child. Grandma's watching you today. So what's wrong with comforting a little boy and telling him, Grandma's okay, she's in heaven, right? So you have to be careful. This is a slippery slope, because what we're doing is we're, we're trying to rationalize in our humanity some way that we can tell a lie, but it's okay, right? What's wrong with comforting this little boy? Because there's holes in the floor of heaven. Her tears are pouring down. That's how you know she's watching. Watch this. Wishing she could be here now. Wishing she could be here now. So first lie, she's in heaven. Second lie, anybody in it. You think that Elijah and Moses and Enoch are looking down here going, man, I wish I could get back there. Do you think they're saying that? No way. But you slip a lie in that she's there and then you double down on it and say, boy, but she sure misses being here. Too bad she's stuck up in heaven. 
Sometimes if you're lonely, just remember she can see. There's holes in the floor of heaven. She's watching over you and me. What does that set us up for? When we're broken and lonely, Satan has just carved a pathway into our life, right? If I could just see Grandma again, right? If I could just talk to her. If I could just hear her voice. Can Satan Satan supply that? Yeah, absolutely. we got to stay true to these principles. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 9, I'll start in verse 5. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Anything that happens in this life when someone dies, that's it, right? Is that confusing? Is that unclear? That's pretty straightforward, right from the Word of God. You can jump over 12.7, same book, Ecclesiastes. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. God gives the breath of life, He takes the breath of life away, right? The body that He puts that breath of life in returns to dust. That's not hard, but it has been so muddied, and it has been talked around so many ways, and, and we have been... We have been bombarded with these ideas that are false in our music, in movies, in television, in church doctrine. Christians are teaching things that are contrary to the, work, uh, to the Word of God. Christian churches, right? That's why these pillars for us, they have to stand because we're the ones that are going to help uncover the deceptions that are leading people to destruction thinking that they're walking with God. Is that dangerous? That's the, in fact, that's the most dangerous path you can be on, right? Hot or cold, never lukewarm, right? The, the most comfortable Satan is with my life is when he thinks I'm good walking with God and he knows I'm not. He wants me to stay right there. Why? Because I'm going to walk that path all the way to hell. I'm never getting off. I'm good with God living a life that doesn't agree with the Scripture, but I found a church says it's okay. As long as man says it's okay, Right? and there's a steeple outside or whatever they're putting on them, then I'm good. But it's dangerous because that is all playing into Satan's plan. i got a long way to go. There's not a trap door at 12, is there? I was told that when I started in Tyler some odd years ago preaching, one of the good elders said, now there's a trap door in there that goes off at 12, so you better be done. I'll try. <laughs> but the Bible is very clear on what death is and what it is not. Satan just wants to confuse the issue. And because if he can confuse us on the state of the dead, does that help him in other areas? Yeah, if we don't really understand what death is, then he can start to use the things that we are misunderstood here, right? And he can take that right to the second coming, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.16, you all know it. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, right? With the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Right? Yeah. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds, so shall we always be with the Lord. Scripture tells us how this is playing out. But if he can mess us up here, now what can he do with the second coming? That whole idea, that's 
that's a great idea that he's going to come back and the dead in Christ shall rise first. But that doesn't make any sense because all the dead in Christ are already in heaven, right? So that second coming part can't be right either. In fact, what it's going to be is this secret thing. If you're living right, if you're living right, you're doing the things that God wants you to do, you just go. Then those that aren't as good as you, they're going to be left for the time of trouble, right? They're the ones that are going to go through it, but you don't have to. In fact, all you really need to do, go get baptized. You can live any way you want. Once you're saved, you're always saved. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. (laughs) But if you teach that what happens at death is wrong, then it's very easy to spiral that into the second coming. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, let's go down to verse 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Verse 24, for there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. We need to understand this stuff because those false Christs are coming. In fact, many have. Have many been deceived? Right? You ever heard, heard of Charles Manson? Have you ever heard of Jim Jones? Right? They've deceived many, telling people they were Christ and people were lured in by their satanic charisma because they didn't understand how Christ is really coming back. Because if we know and we are locked in on what the second coming is, we know he came once. We know he died. We know he was resurrected. We know he went back to heaven. Right. We'll talk about the sanctuary in a minute. We know he ministers on our behalf. Right. We know he's entered the Holy of Holies. We know that he's coming back. We know how he's coming back. If somebody tells us he's Jesus saying, you know what? I didn't see the cloud. I didn't hear the trumpet. I didn't see the angels. You're not him. Right. It's easy. And we're spoiled. Brothers and sisters, we are spoiled because we have been taught this correctly. And and so be careful that we don't judge too harshly those out there. Because our real role is to educate, to share, and to draw them in to the true teachings of God. Right? It's not just to tell them how wrong they are. It's to show them the peace and the comfort that the truth really brings. Because the truth of God is always peace in our lives. And that's how he does it, by us understanding these things. So it says in verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You ever been inside with the blinds closed in a lightning storm? You still see it, don't you? When it lights up that sky, your room brightens up even through the blinds. It's visible. If you're standing outside, you really see it. It's dark, it's cloudy, it's raining, and that lightning cracks off, and it just lights everything up. That's what he's telling us. You won't miss it. There is no secret. I'm coming back, and I'm coming in my glory. There's been so many false Christs that have already come, and they've deceived so many people because this is taught incorrectly. And it is our job, I believe, not only to stay true to our roots, to stay true to the Bible that we've been raised on, the things that we know, but I think it's also our obligation to share with others not only what this is, but why is it important. 
because we see Satan is weaving this tapestry of deception that all works together. It's not accidental. It's not fringe. It's not a piece here, a piece there. They are all working together to come together to this masterpiece of lies that draws even very good Christian people into them. Now, I do believe that anybody that truly loves the Lord will be in heaven. That is my belief. But what I also believe is that he has a job for every one of us in this life. And the sooner we come to truth and can share with others, the better our quality of life is going to be while we're here because we're living out the calling God has for us. And that is important. And I hope that's what every one of you want. So let's go into that next piece, which is the sanctuary. To my knowledge, we are the only church that teaches the Old Testament sanctuary. And I also understand, talking to uh, many of my much older Adventist friends, that we used to teach this a lot more. Um, Many of them that were in college back in the 50s told me that that we had a book called The Sanctuary Service by M.L. Andreessen that was actually standard study for everybody going through Adventist schools. Talk to most people under probably 50, maybe, maybe. They probably haven't heard of that book. It's a fantastic, if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. Because what the sanctuary service does, it's not just this Old Testament process that we study and go, okay, well, yeah, they killed an animal. Symbolically, that was Jesus, and Jesus came and died, so that's it, right? It's so much more than that. The the sanctuary service is the process of salvation shown to us piece by piece, step by step. And the reason that's so important is because If you understand how the sanctuary was laid out, so walk through this with me. When you go in there, what what was around everything? There was a fence, right? And when you entered through that fence, you were where? In the courtyard, right? And then you had had some things that were outside there. You had the, the altar of burnt offering was out there, and you had a laver for them to wash in, right? Then you had that first compartment of the actual sanctuary. What was that called? the holy place, and then you had the second compartment, which was yeah, most holy or holy of holies. So the reason this is all important is because you've probably all heard Jesus did it all at the cross, right? Has anybody ever heard that phrase? It's very common amongst even Christian churches today. Jesus did it all at the cross. When Jesus died, it was finished, right? So here's a question. It's a trick question. I'll warn you up front. How many people were saved... Because Jesus died. And that's a common answer. But, but Jesus saved exactly zero people just with his death. Right? And I told you it was a trick question. That's our pathway to salvation. He provided a means. It's the only way I can be saved. But he didn't save me when he died. He saved me when he fills my life. That's when I am saved, when He is so filling me that I would rather die than turn my back on Him. That's my salvation, right? So, where was the animal sacrificed in the Old Testament sanctuary? In the courtyard, right? So, if Jesus did it all at the cross, we actually don't need the holy place, do we? We actually don't need the holy of holies. We don't need any of it because the cross was in the courtyard. So, if... This is showing us Christ. Why was there even a tabernacle? Why was there ever a sanctuary? Because Jesus didn't do it all at the cross. 
That was the death that made efficacious the possibility for me to come to Him through His blood. I can be cleansed, but I do have to choose that, don't I? So, there's something else about that. You'll find it was placed in the center of the camp. Why is that important? When did the Israelites get in trouble? Anytime they looked at the the nation surrounding them, right? How did they end up with a king? All these other countries, all these other nations, they have a king. We need something visible. God wasn't visible. A cloud by day, fire by night, right? Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Water out of a rock, bread falling from heaven. God's not visible, right? Keep complaining about meat and quail swarm the camp. God's visible. God's present. You, you look at, a, you look at a, a brazen serpent up on a pole and poison doesn't have any effect on your body. God's not visible. God's not present. No, we need something we can see. If they had stayed looking in where God was in the center of the camp, they wouldn't have had any trouble. What's the modern day parallel if we look together, right? When you need something, call a brother and sister. Come together, fellowship, open the Word, go to God. Don't look outside in the world for answers, because when we do that, we're going to get in trouble. There are very practical, everyday life lessons embedded right in the sanctuary. But churches are not teaching it. And I would dare say we're not doing a good enough job of teaching it. It still is fundamental to our faith, but I think we can do better. When you walked in... You were always traveling west when you walked into the sanctuary. God being the Shekinah glory over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, right? As you walk towards Him, you are always heading west. Where's your back? If you're walking west, what's your back to? Yeah, the sun, right? sun always rises from the east. Symbolically, that's saying if you want God, you better turn your back on the world. If you really want to be a child of God, everything that the world loves, everything the world says is popular, you better turn your back on it because they're not going to mix. You're going to have to choose one or the other. You cannot have both. And our human nature is such that if we spend long enough in the world, God gets less and less and less attractive, doesn't He? In fact, I would even throw this out to you because I remember being young. I remember diving into this book and thinking... Numbers? Really? That book? How can there possibly be anything in there? You get a little older and you find out that's an amazing book, isn't it? Right? Young people are like, are you sure? (laughs) But I say that because I remember those thoughts. I remember those feelings. But what is it? Is that our human nature is at odds with the Spirit of God. We have to continue to expose ourselves because we are going to be fighting it every step of the way. But when we finally get open to it, What you find is that there's peace, there's truth, there's salvation is embedded in every word of God. All through the scriptures. And so, yeah, the, the sanctuary is vitally important. And it's important that we teach it. Because you can undercut a lot of the things that are taught incorrectly about the salvation process by understanding the sanctuary service. But if we're not teaching it, who's going to do it? Right? And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more by the title of the message, These Pillars Must Stand, because the next one is Spirit of Prophecy. Revelation 19.10. Jump back there with me.
Revelation 19, verse 10. When you get there, it says, And I fell to his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. True remnant church has to have the spirit of prophecy. We have to have that testimony of Jesus. Revelation twelve seventeen says, Those are they which keep the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I believe we have the spirit of prophecy in this church. And I believe the spirit of prophecy is manifested heavily in the inspired works of Ellen White. And I remember, I remember being young, trying to read the great controversy. It didn't sit well. It was tough. But what pulled me in was when I started reading Desire of Ages. There's something about that book. And it's, it's, it's almost like a switch goes on, right? And when that switch goes on, and it could be Steps to Christ, right? Much, much easier. I think we'd all agree, right? If you had the Great Controversy and Steps to Christ sitting next to each other, which one's the easier read? Steps to Christ, right? But it's like a switch goes off. And it ignites something when you dive into these works. And I always recommend that you, you read them together with the Scripture because it, am, it amplifies the Scripture. And it deepens your walk and it deepens your study and it opens your eyes to things that not only do you understand better, but it's like it kicks this desire in. And God knew we needed that. Now she herself said, hey... You don't need anything I've written to be saved. You go to the Word, and the Word alone, you can be saved. And that's true. And I agree with that 100%. But my personal testimony is that my spiritual walk has been enriched dramatically by studying with the the works of Ellen White, studied with the Scripture. Now, whether you read that or not is not the issue. It's whether you throw it out that's important. We have churches that are already throwing out the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, right? Now, why does that matter? If I just said, you don't have to read it to be saved, you don't ever have to crack open the great controversy, which is a phenomenal book. Once your mind's right to read it, it's a phenomenal book. But you don't have to read that to be saved. It's all in the scripture. And I agree 100%. But what we know is a remnant church has spirit of prophecy, right? So here's the danger. When you see that fall, all these others will fall too. When I say these pillars must stand, what I mean is all of them must stand because each one of them is a gateway to knock the other one out. So what's clearly the most controversial amongst Adventists, I think easily, is Ellen White, right? Many people have left our church over the writings of Ellen White. And I'm the first to tell you, no, you don't have to read them to be saved. But if that is not part of our church, we're in the wrong church. If we don't, where is it, right? If we don't have the spirit of prophecy, if it's not her, where is it? And if we don't have it, then we're all in the wrong church. But what I see at work is this one's controversial, so why don't we just push that to the side and say, hey, we don't need it. In fact, we reject it. Because I'm okay with anyone that says, I don't read that, I just read the Bible. That's fine. It's very different than rejecting it and say, that's not inspired. Because if it's not inspired, now you've just undercut one of the pillars of our faith. That becomes a problem. Why is that such a problem? Because you know what's going to fall next? And the sanctuary has been under attack. We don't really need it. It's Old Testament. Right? 
Sound like, sound like I'm talking from another church, doesn't it? This happening in our own church, brothers and sisters. This is happening. We don't really need the sanctuary. It's Old Testament. It's good, but really all we need, that all just pointed to Jesus. All we need to do is study Jesus. Sanctuary is what's explaining what He's doing in the heavenly sanctuary, right? If you understand Him entering into the Holy of Holies, that's how we understand what the judgment process looks like. That's how we understand what the second coming... We understand all of this through that lens. So if we kick that one out, the sanctuary falls very quickly. If the sanctuary falls, then the second coming is pretty easy. And if the second coming can fall, the state of the dead can fall. And then eventually, where are we going to get? Sabbath will fall. And it will. It will. And, and, and I don't know that it has yet, but I know that it will. Even inside our own churches. Every one of these. If one of them goes, they are all going to fall, just like dominoes. And I don't know the exact progress, progression, and I don't know the time. But the Sabbath is the fourth commandment of God's unchangeable law. It is a perpetual sign of His eternal covenant with His people. It's eternal. It is unchangeable. We will worship Him from Sabbath to Sabbath, even in the new earth, right? Even as we go to heaven, right? We are going to keep the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath in His life and in His death, right? It's all through the Scripture. Let's go to Genesis really quickly. And and I'm out of time, but I want to cover just a couple more things real quickly, just in the Scriptures. Because this is not just my words. I never come to you with things that I've thought up. I come to you with things that come right from the Word of God. And in Genesis chapter 2, it says, thus the he- starting in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. On the seventh day God ended His work which He had made. He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. Was God tired when He got to the Sabbath? No, it wasn't because it was tired. It was because He was creating a connection with us. It was a sign. If you were my people, you were going to rest like I did. I did this miraculous, amazing work of creation. And then I ended and rested. You are going to need it. I don't need it, but you will. And in fact, when you go, you find out God built us. He knows what's best for us. People who work seven days a week because they have so much to do, get less done than people that take a day off. Now, let me say this. It's not one in seven, and that's where we're coming, right? Eventually, that'll even happen. Oh, just one in seven, that's you. and cycles show. People that take a day off, it doesn't have to be the Sabbath initially, but people who take any day off, this is just shows God's cycle works. They get more done than people work straight seven days because their body refreshes. So then the question comes, so then can we just pick one? No. The cycle is right. We do need one day and seven off, but God didn't say just pick one. He said it's the seventh day. That's the only one that's holy. You come to worship me on the holy day that I created for us, right? He made it for us. He blessed it and made it holy for us so we could rest. And it's supposed to be a delight. It's supposed to be a time of rest and a time of special communion. So here's the last piece I'll say, and then I'm going to wrap this up quickly. The Sabbath does need to be a delight. And we have got to teach it to our children in the proper format where the Sabbath should not be a list of things. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do this. You don't do that. Right. Here's a much better way to do it, because in the the 70s and 80s, when I was growing up, 
There was a big push on this. Uh, we don't do that on Sabbath. These are the things we don't do on Sabbath. We can't do that on Sabbath. And for me as a child, I remember thinking, man, I can't wait till sunset so I can do some fun stuff, right? Anybody ever feel that way? But we should never have that mindset. And we as the adults, we've got to create this mind that, look, this is the day that mommy and daddy can spend time with you because we're working the other days. But now we have this whole day to fellowship together. We get to see our church family. We get to go to potlucks. We get to spend more time in the Word. We get to hear beautiful music, right? That's what the Sabbath's all about. We get to spend time. We can go out and we can go hiking together. We can go out maybe tonight and look up at the stars together, right? We can bring the end of the Sabbath in as a longing for the next Sabbath, right? Not as a, ooh, man, it's seven... 14, I can turn the TV on, right? I remember doing it. I remember doing it. And that's, I think that's our job. Because it is not one in seven. It is the Sabbath. And it is important. And we need the rest. We need that fellowship. We need that community together. This is how our churches thrive. When we come together and we have truly missed each other. Amen. And don't we? Don't, I mean, for me... When I come together with my church family, and you all are just my extended church family, right? Amen. You're just my extended church family. It's not the faces I see every Sabbath, but it's, it's like believers. It's a fellowship of like believers, and I long for this, and I need it, and I think each one of you do too. Amen. And so it's all these pillars that set us apart, and, and they have to stand until the very end because if they don't stand... If they don't stand, then we are not the true remnant. And any church that chips away at any one of these eventually will chip away at all of them, right? And so what my challenge to each one of you is today is dive into what do we really believe? Why do we really believe that? How can we go to the Scriptures and be sure that what we're doing aligns perfectly with the Word of God? And what you'll find as we're doing this What we're encouraging ourselves is to walk in our faith, right? We're growing in the Lord every time we open up the Scriptures. And I I pray that it's a delight for each one of you to open up this book, to study the things we believe, to share with our children, not just what we believe, but why we believe it. So it can pass. If the Lord doesn't come soon, we have to pass this down generation to generation because the last thing any one of us want is our children growing up and saying, man, I was in church every Sabbath till I was 18, but boy, as soon as I got to choose, I was out, right? Because it's not just what mom and dad say, it's because it, God becomes my God, right? I want to follow the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. And so understand that as, as we sing this closing song, Mighty Fortress, and I think that's great. I didn't, and I didn't choose these songs, but they fit perfectly. Sleeping on guard, boy, is that a challenge to us? Every one of us? Never, never be. We are watchmen on the wall. Never be sleeping on guard. And then the Mighty Fortress is God's promise that as we stay true to Him, He will protect us against everything that this world throws at us. And may we all be found faithful and worthy as he comes back to take us home. So sing this song with, with some passion. Sing it with, with meaning because he really is our mighty fortress and I'll come back and have the benediction. Father, as we go from this place, 
May we never leave your presence. I pray that you go with each one of us as we seek to walk more firmly in the calling that you have for each one of us. Let us be those that finish this work and see you coming in the clouds. We long for that day and pray that you will hasten your return, that we may live and abide with you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.